that this reality that we want to be immersed in, which is directed by love, which is about love, and in fact expresses love at all times, is beyond this sticky other stuff. Well, great to see you, David Silver. David is joining us to help celebrate the sixth anniversary of Be Here Now Network. And uh, Dave, it was really David and I, um, uh, it couldn't have happened without David because the kind of uh, way that we sort of had been practicing for this, not knowing what we were talking, I mean, not knowing what was going to happen with a podcast network that we do a bunch of podcasts on and develop the whole idea of a Be Here Now Network, Ramdas is Be Here Now Network. So welcome, Dave. Hi, it's great to be here on July 4th. Oh, that's right. It's July 4th, 22. Mm. Um, yeah, not too much to celebrate America right now, but uh, we don't want to get into uh, a negative about it. Uh, in fact, I have some really cool material from Ramdas that we, as I said just now, we can riff off because uh, he, he said some very prescient things and some things that might help perspective-wise, you know, for what uh, what is going on. But I just... Can I just ask you to sort of reminisce a little bit about what you even thought when I called you and said, hey, you know that thing called podcasts? Uh, This guy, Duncan Trussell, got in touch with me and he said, we should be doing podcasts. So, And I was living in North Carolina at the time and I said, why don't you come down? Wouldn't it be cool? What was going through your mind in the moment of, you know? Um, the concept of it? Um, hard to remember exactly, to be really honest. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think by that time, at least I knew what they were, you know. And I'd, I had listened to a few and thought, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. To, you know, I wasn't that impressed. I thought, well, what, you know, we've got all these amateurs broadcasting and being a professional broadcaster all my life. I thought, you know, to hell with them. And David, then, by the way, we should, because we have so many, um, you know, new listeners coming in all the time. Okay. Uh, so they might not know. David had a phenomenal TV show, which he actually has the film and one day. It would be so great to be able to, to watch, which uh, you say. What was that well, show? It was called What's Happening, Mr. Silver. It was on WGBH TV in Boston, which is, you know, the home of mm, the premier. Masterpiece, Masterpiece yeah. Theater and Julia Child. And so yeah. I did 32 shows that were entirely countercultural, were about um, both the political and spiritual and musical uh, times. I was in Cambridge, living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we had all kinds of amazing guests. And it was a countercultural television show, which had its beginning, middle, and end. You know, because it was just a little too, a little too much for some people at that time, and um, <laughs> yeah, but... including, including myself actually, because <laughs> I had to do all kinds of things that I wasn't sure about. But I, I learned a lot about a side of. I'd only been in America for about um, 
eight months when this happened and I got this show. And it launched me into a, a you know a life of being in that world to some extent. Mm. And it was completely revolutionary and has never been repeated, even though that sounds like a very vainglorious thing to say. It's actually true. Um, because at the time, we weren't represented. You know, I was 23 uh, when I got the show. And um, Amazing. the only reason we did it was because my girlfriend at the time said, there's nothing here like the Beatles. And I said, well, am I like the Beatles? She said, well, somewhat. And so, you know, so, you know, I was the same age. I was from, Mm. my mother's from Liverpool. My father's from Manchester. Uh, So there was some reason for her to say that. But so that's what that was about. Mm. But, Um, you know, isn't it true that if you think back about the kind of uh, repartee, shall we say, that you had with the people that came on to the show, it was very much... What we do in pod, what you and I in particular was were doing when we started doing these podcasts. So, and I had some experience also. I had been in radio around the same time as you uh, on television, and uh, really experimenting with uh, not just doing music. The station was a, a mainstream rock and roll FM rock and roll station. And yet we were able. That's where Ramdas got introduced. That's where I met Ramdas. And that's how he got introduced, and uh, to uh, certainly to the audience in Montreal. And then that became a format that I I did work in the CBC, doing similar stuff, engaging people, and really get really as much as possible, with as much openness as possible, getting people to share uh, below the personality level. You know, which I do to this day. That we were we were doing, and that's how we uh, we got mind rolling going, and the reflection then spread to the rest of the people that we got on the network and uh, what it is. Today. Actually, if you remember, Roger, one of the most difficult things about doing it, and uh, it was a delight to do, and felt the same. It felt to me as you're right, similar. That there was a a representation that wasn't really there at that time, in that world, in that, in that media, you know, sort of zone. And to be able to do it within the Ramdas fold was perfect because he was a loquacious person to begin with. Not that he was on the show all the time, but he inspired it, you know. And I agree with you that um, it, was a, it was an outlet that made sense because you need to talk about these things. And what are these things? Well, we're still talking about them, obviously. And mainly everything from... Uh, you know, pure spiritual teachings and our feelings about them and, and, and people who taught them to what was going on in the society. And 10 years ago, um, as weird as it was then, it's a whole lot weirder now. And to do a podcast with any less gravitas uh, when we're living in such strange times is is both... I think it's both. It's both. You need you need to express things which are nothing to do with that chaos, mm-hmm. nothing to do with that hypocrisy, nothing to do with these truly terrible decisions that are being made in 2022 when we're doing this, and go to a place that's beyond that. Because, you know, when it really comes down to it, what 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 better stuff is it to talk about than our own real life experiences with teachings? Yeah, no, uh, that absolutely. Changed, that changed our yeah. lives. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and and the beauty of 
This anyway, is... no, let me finish, because what, yes, what, 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 what no one could know is that what we we had a hard time finding a title for it, you know. Oh, yeah. It was sort of like, we didn't want to be pretentious, we didn't want to call it, you know, the spirituality podcast. Or the, and you came up with the idea, actually, um, which was mind-rolling out of nowhere, which is a a, a sect or a, the, the mean ruling thing is a part of Buddhism, is a part of the Buddhist Tibetan teaching. Buddhist. Yes. Um... Yeah. But mind rolling was the word that emerged from it. And you just, I don't know, I don't remember, you came up with it. And it's one of those things, you know, that as soon as you said it, I knew that was the right word. Because it's exactly what mm-hmm. we're doing now, you know. Yeah. We're letting the mind roll in such a way that other people can tune in and see if there's anything yeah. they can grab from it, you know. Yeah. And now, you know, that's Russell Brand does it and all these people do it. And yeah. that's great right. and everything. But we started it, Russell. <laughs> You know, so the the beauty of this being Ramdas Be Here Now Network is that what the 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 deep veritas that Ramdas has and the way he connects with people around just being you know, start out with being honest with yourself and, and that's what we've followed that as best we could and created you know, a platform uh, for in which the same as what Ramdas created when I when we first knew him, you know, it's okay to be human. It's okay to be a screw up. It's okay and stop judging and killing yourself like you know people do, and we do our entire lives. It just gets a little bit more spacious towards the end. One would hope. So we ha- we have that as as a, a rudder really, which is highly advantageous. And of course, the podcasts that. Uh, We've been doing, and that I introduced Ramdas uh, over these last many years. It's, it, they're telling me it's six years. Somehow I feel it's more than six, but um, I'm just feel really lucky that we can share, especially over this pandemic. By the way, I know you've done less, David. Still, every month or so, we do a podcast together, a couple of months. Um, uh, but over the pandemic, being able to meet all of these wonderful people that I would just sit and chat that I didn't know and you get to know th- through a podcast, that was uh, that was real grace, honestly, in this period where you're not really seeing people and so on. Didn't we start this in 2013 or 2012 or something? I don't think it's that far back, but... Uh, I think it, it is. I think it is. It is? We yeah, should look this I, up. I can I can relate it to certain things that were happening, and that was you know like nine years ago or something. Like getting my our cat uh, was <laughs> happened during that, and he's she she's nine. And, uh-huh. uh huh. Well, let's nine. get to the bottom of this. This could yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now we did have another podcast network that when we started out that we formed you and I and Noah Lampert and. Uh, that was uh, in action for it could have been a couple of years. So it maybe those are the years. Oh, that, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now, because uh, Be Here Now Network was started after that, when right, right. Yeah, Love Server Member Foundation uh, decided to put put us under that umbrella. So very, very fortunate. So really, uh, again, I introduced this in, in a way uh, that. Uh, it would have been very difficult for me, uh, given um, the vicissitudes of trying to learn how to uh, do this, even though both of us had experience in it, David through television, me through radio. 
there's still a, a ground that you want to get to that has, and we just talked about honesty. We did a whole talk with Ramdas when he first was in Maui uh, after his stint in the hospital around honesty. Remember that that uh, lovely interview that was done it was, with him? It was, yeah, called, which, it was called The Habit of Honesty. The Habit of Honesty, which yeah. we still yeah. should do something with. That. We I, have you know, we, I have the transcript. I have the transcript. Even I, I'd like to hear the actual tapes. But um, so... To to find the ground from which to be able to share what we share with uh, with you in particular, David, uh, that's been a, a a real blessing for me. I think it would have been much more difficult um, had uh, I not had you as a partner. Well, thank you. I, I I'm in my experience, you know, I found that when I'm forced to speak on anything or talk, I learn. Because it, there's a certain, you know, I was a teacher for a long time and, uh, you know, at the university. And, and on the whole, even though it's a whole different thing that I was involved in literature and so on, uh, there are, you know, universal principles. And I found that when I had to teach a class about Melville, I had to read it, you know, it's one of those little drawbacks of teaching. And then to talk about it to people who are actually going to take you seriously or somewhat seriously because they didn't know anything, maybe or very little, uh, was a great teaching. I mean, teaching is learning, um, or at least it, it was for me. So to do the podcast at that time yeah. with people like Duncan and, um, and Ram Dass and, and Joan Halifax and these amazing Joseph people. Joseph I mean, Goldstein. Yeah, we, oh, go, we, that's yeah, how all I'm, of uh, you know, Jack and Joseph and Sharon, yeah. that's how they came into the network as we just started, hey, well, this is great. Hey, what about, why don't you join? You know? and, and you know what it occurred to me, Rana, Raghu, about Ramdas was that he didn't inspire this in people, but he made it so that they were themselves. I mean, yeah, he did inspire it. But let's say that Jack or Trudy or or Siltram or Joseph or Sharon, all of those people, as high level as the teaching is, as as much as it's involved in consciousness and beyond consciousness, as well as honesty, uh, it it was it, when I listened to them, and when I did them with you back then, they were never pretentious either. You know that that was what really got me about it. You know, it was just sort of in the in in the words of the vernacular. You know, I, I've just been reading this the Upanishads again, and when Yeats, the poet, the great Irish poet, did a translation with a, a great Indian scholar in the in I think in the 1920s, one of the things he said in the intro, which was really important to me, was, "You will not understand the Upanishads unless it's translated into what he called common English." meaning that the, the, the depths of these Vedic and Vedantic teachings mm. are ungraspable unless they're translated in a way that enables people to be unpretentious in discussion, in discussing them and in, in, in rolling them around your mind with them because you understand mm. what they're about. And that's what Yeats did. And then mm. the newer versions are even more that way. And that's another thing about podcasting, that you sort of yeah. have to be honest. People can tell when you're... You know, when yeah. you're sort of off, you're off. You just, you know, the words are coming out, but they're not really, those words that come out occasionally are not always good for other people who need to know more than maybe than you've managed to learn. Uh, and it's such an interesting process because the teaching of it is the learning of it. Yeah, It's almost That's, a Socratic thing with yourself. Yeah, 
Because, yeah. you know, talking to Joseph Goldstein, you obviously learn a huge amount more about um, insight, meditation, and Buddhism. But you're also, and even in the response, Raga, when we would talk back and forth with these incredible people, I would learn things in a very um, quantum way. It was like quantum physics. Suddenly I didn't know it, then I knew it. Then I knew mm. it forever, and then I knew mm. something else that contradicted it, but it didn't matter. It was growth, 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 growth. And that's what's so really gratifying about being allowed to do something like this. Yeah, yeah. No, really, we know, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you put it so so well, and the, the there's so many different uh, um, ways in which this is very graceful to be part of. So many yeah. different ways. So, again, thank you, and um, thanks to the Be Here Now Network. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, recently you, you posted a, uh, a David Lynch uh, conversation. Oh, yeah. And and all these, you know, since I, I, I'm not doing it regularly, you know, I just mind-blowing. It's endless. This is, it has to be endless because we're always exploring. Unless you're, you know, at that stage which, you know, great masters get to, where stillness and silence are the teaching both to themselves and to all their, their mm. tailors and, and students. But until you reach that stage, uh, I, I believe that conversation about uh, consciousness is the most important thing we can probably do at this time. Uh, because, you know, it's very hard to change the politics. It's very hard to change the, the sort of calcified opinions of, of, of the body politic. What the hell are you going to do living in America in 2022? Well... The only thing you can do is use your skills to try and say that there is another life, there is another level, there is another dimension to go to, which is not escapism. In fact, it's just the opposite. Yeah, it's, but at the same time, yes, to, yeah. to go to that dimension within ourselves yes, to uh, create a transformation that would halt the polarization, the us and the them thing, uh, is highly important, but... Uh, it's not like you're going to get, okay, I'll wait till I get enlightened before I do anything that in the, in the world to affect change in any way that I can, even if it's just one-on-one. -on -one. So it's the two of them happening at the same time. So I, I have this, uh, since you're reminded of what, not that I needed reminding, but um, it, it made me think that I had... Uh, a thing that I uh, introduced a, a podcast of Ram Dass called uh, When Acid Meets Beer. <laughs> How about that? And he talked, you know, about getting dismissed from Harvard and some of that stuff. But he also talked about uh, what was he felt was going on in the... It, at that time and how it relates to now and said some prescient things, I thought, as I said earlier, we could talk about them. Um, so at that time... Ramdas talked about the inner feeling of the late 60s, early 70s, that love and truth were powerful enough to change the system. What we captured back in the 60s was a return to a sense of innocence. And we just assumed that its power and its truth would ride over everything. Little did we know. <laughs> That's what he said. Little did we know. Hmm. Um, 
I, what he said was, first of all, I think that it isn't innocent now, and I don't think it's naive like it was in the 60s. I think the realization is that truth and love are very frightening to people that have vested interest in things that are based on injustice, inequality, on a whole bunch of issues. Uh, Ramdas said that if, if you haven't had experiences that validate truth and love, then you are still motivated by fear. So funny, you know, when I hear that, um, it takes me back to 2007 when I did a series of, uh, of interviews and videos with Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. Oh, I remember that, yeah. And one time I was in his house in the Hamptons uh, alone with him, no furniture, no nothing. We sat on the floor of the studio room he used. And um, we were talking about what revelations had come for him. We weren't videotaping this, just conversation with a, a bottle of beer, actually. Interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. And he said the most important thing in his life was the conquering of fear. He said he hadn't done it yet, but the whole trajectory of his art was about showing the fear and then transcending it. Now, you know, it's Roger Waters. It's not, it's not Yogananda. But nevertheless, the fear factor at that moment in that house, August 2007, I think it was, I suddenly realized how much fear I held. That's what an artist can do, you know. He, didn't, he wasn't trying to do that. But the fear that Ramdas mentioned there that governs our lives, or at least our physical life living in a house in a country on a planet at a certain time with, with you know, seven billion people. Um, fear. Fear is what it's all about with guns and the Roe versus Wade decision that was made a few days ago, weeks ago, all of this, all of this, it takes a good man with a gun to fight a bad man with a gun, all this absolute errant nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, Ramdas knew, uh, despite the innocence, Raghu, I think Ramdas and the rest of us who were around him knew in the later 60s that they were already being polluted by a kind of weird egoism and that it, it was not just progressing in a straight line. And then we realized that karma does not do jumps. <laughs> karma, which means action, takes long amounts of time to evolve when it will go through darkness and light. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing darkness now. There's no question about it. But then again, we're also seeing people like Sharon Salzberg and Thignot Han and, and, and so many others, Pema Children, and these great teachers with great wisdom who are very prolific and who are, in my opinion, the counter to that fear-based construct, which, is a, which seems to be at the core of modern politics. Yeah. I don't see anything else that can really prevail because the two sides are, are just obdurate, whereas those that have come to terms with truth and love, as you mentioned, truth, love, honesty, are not obdurate. We're still searching, we're still discovering uh, whether it be at a, a Krishna Das or a Deva Pramal Kirtan, or it be just reading the papers and realizing, realizing what's lies and what's truth. 
and 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 those polar opposites of, of awareness and behavior are part of this complex thing we call living in a time of extremes. We're living in a time of extremes. The Kali Yuga was predicted to be that time. And great sages have said that in the Kali Yuga, you can do two things. One is meditate, the other one's chant. <laughs> yeah. Neither of those are well, involved with the Supreme Court, by the way. Yeah, no. Yes, no, they aren't, unfortunately. Um, well, there's uh, two things. One is, you know, you... You hear so much when you talk to people about their experiences in the late 60s and early 70s. And for the most part, I find that people go, yeah, we were kids then, we were young then. And, you know, taking up Ram Dass's thing, naive and thinking that the world could change because of love and belief in love and truth and, and so on. But, you know, we, we got families, we got careers, we grew up. And realize this is a tough world and we, we have to focus on how we can just make do with, you know, that kind of uh, slight nihilism, so to speak, you know. Ah, yeah. So that, and I, I always look, are you serious? There was some extraordinary uh, things that happened for people. Yeah, look, a lot of people, if they took psychedelics, many people had real problems, psychological problems, bummers, you know, bad trips. And more people, I would say, had that ineffable experience that Ram Dass, you know, is mentioning that, uh, you know, to the people that have that experience, the world and their perspective completely, utterly changes. And he puts it in the way of that validates truth and love. And that validates uh, uh, another plane of consciousness within oneself that is behind all of the story we tell ourselves, the thoughts we believe in and all of that, which we talk about all ad infinitum, needs to be talked about as far as I'm concerned and repeated as much as possible till we all get it, that there is that place, the validation of that place is what really what it uh, what moves one's perspective to have any chance to get beyond polarization inside oneself and then in this world, which is completely polarized. In this mm -hmm. country, I mean, we're celebrating a day. If you, of course, just looking back at, at some of the really awful things that have happened in this con country, genocides and so on, and slavery, all of it, and inequality, uh, it's, it's been a place uh, one could say, okay, well, it's, this is trials and tribulations of growing into what the founding fathers envisioned. And that's true to some degree. Mm -hmm. But it's gotten to the point where it's, it's uh, extraordinarily difficult in my mind to continue in the way that Ramdas is talking about that the vested interests in in power and injustice and in inequality and all of those issues, uh, if you haven't had the experience that validates the truth, then you're not even going to be interested in following uh, in the in the direction of changing your perspective. You're not even going to be interested in it. So. Uh, the other thing here, something else he said, I think we in the 60s were as much a precipitator of the right 
the conservative movement and the fundamentalist movement as the conservatives were. I mean, I think we entertained the edge of anarchy and chaos as the creative moment in a way they couldn't handle. That just scared the living everything out of them. That sounds reasonable, that the gigantic pushback from the Nixon era, particularly around just around that time, it was uh, ex- extraordinary, the reaction. So, so that is, is very much a, a, a part of what's created where we are now, I think. Absolutely. And, what, and, and both your words and Ramdas's words there are so, I think, exactly right. Because what, what actually seemed to happen was that the innocence period uh, was really from sort of the beats and the late 50s, early 60s, through to the musical, the music explosions that happened in, in, in both sides of the Atlantic. And it, that had a period of true innocence. And so did the hippies. I remember being at the Goddard conference. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and, and the Grateful Dead were there, and Dr. John was there, and Ramdas was there. And I was actually teaching a class there, believe it or not, at the, at the great age of 25. We were both there, everybody, and we never yeah. knew each other no, then. Didn't. That was 69, 70. It, yeah, it was just so amazing because it felt real, and, you know, it, it was real. And the, existentially, in other words, we can talk about the existential truth of those moments. But as you just mentioned, as Ramdas surmised, to those other people, it was just absolute murder. It was just everything they hated, you know, which was taking constructs that they debased their life on and saying these are not necessarily the truth. From Abby Hoffman to John Lennon to Joni Mitchell to Janis Joplin, you know, in the music area, things were being said that had never been said in music before. There was no more of that June moon love be dove stuff, despite the fact that love was behind it all. It was about the iniquities. Think about Buffalo Springfield. Neil well, Young. go back to Woody Guthrie. I mean, we Woody can't. Guthrie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It happened in such a way that it cut through even media denial. Because the reason I got my TV show was because everybody said there was nothing representing that. Mm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got it. And so, oh, despite the media denial, despite the fact that, we, you know, people were still talking. I mean, like Disney, for instance. You couldn't dip Disney if you had long hair. They'd stop you at the door. That's how things were. You know, they just saw us as being kind of some kind of weird, depraved um, collection of, of bums. And I, I, I think that started happening more in 67, 68. Remember, 69 ended in a, 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 an explosion of negativity with the Charles Manson case. Hippies, guys who looked like hippies. Manson looked like a hippie. Wrote yeah. songs for, yeah. for one of the Beach Boys. I mean, Manson and then Altamont, a shooting at a rock concert oh, with yeah. half a million people. And then moving into the idea that the war was going to escalate, not de-escalate in 1969. And it wasn't until 72 or 73 after the Paris Peace Accords when Vietnam ended. And remember, Vietnam was our um, monster. We were their monsters. 
But Vietnam was our monster because we saw awful, awful degradation going on in murder, mass murder, genocide, bombing of, of peasantry, and so forth. Um, peasantry, by I mean people who were working in rice fields. Mm. And so yeah. we were we were abominated by that. And our abomination took such a, a, a sort of the colors were very bright on that. The way we talked about things, the way we the way we fought with things. At the same time, some of us were so lucky to come across a spiritual parallel. For me, it was Meher Baba and Gurdjieff. And and when I started listening to the music and then hearing that and reading those things, and I realized, oh my God, there's another world. There's another world. Mm, yeah. And it's so much more important to me than anything that's been presented to me so far. Right. Well, that's that your experience a, of validating yeah. truth and love, basically. Permutations yes. abound, yes. but that's your experience. Uh, and the meeting, by the way, you know, like you in the early 70s was, a, a, if, I don't, if you don't mind me saying so, it was a great, what we used to call a Philip, a, a, a tonic, because it brought back the idea that despite some of the extremism of the late 60s and early 70s, that along with uh, sacred music came some attempt at sacred thought. So by the time Bob Marley came on the scene in 74, so if, mm. like that, uh, it was a, a great counteractor to all of that stuff yeah. that was beginning to disintegrate, yeah. you know, which was our vision, our vision of a better world where people were treated better and where love was a predominant dynamic, not fear. Yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, you and me and Ram Das, did you know this? Were, so if, you, if somebody said, who was the first being that you encountered that turned you on to the East? Mayor Baba, Ram Das. Me really? and you, yeah. I'm sure there's many other people, but I just know yeah. because of what you just said. And uh, by the way, uh, everybody, for me, was seeing a picture of this smiling Indian Baba, and underneath it said, "Don't worry, be happy." That was it for me. Okay. Uh, I, I, ah, you know, for me, it was a guy called. Um, oh God, I forgot his name. He was. Uh, the person who introduced Peter Townsend to the Meher Bob. And he was used to watch my television show, and, and he called me on the phone. <laughs> and he said, do you know who Meher Bob is? And I said, not really. He said, well, can you come and visit me? And I did, and then I interviewed him uh, about Meher Bob. So yeah. I, as a, a television a person on a little screen in someone's house, someone then said, I think that guy needs to know about this if he's going to have this platform. And from that moment on, we, you know, I wow. talked to Hare That's Krishna so people, cool. back to Vedanta. I talked yeah. to the Maharishi. Really? You know, oh yeah, and and I realized then that my my great fortune in being able to join that club, which I might never have been. It's not a club, of course, yeah. but let's use colloquially. Yeah. And then meeting Ramdas, um, basically at Goddard, but after the Goddard conference. Uh, living near him on the Upper West Side when the Hanuman Foundation was up in the 90s, I guess, and I lived mm -hmm. in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, beginning to know him and then you and Krishnadas yeah. and, and Parvati and everyone else at Hilda's teachings um, where we all went. Um, yeah. What a, what a miracle, really. I mean, I think it was a miracle because I think I would have gone down another road. 
And that road might not have been, you know, directly to um, where I wanted ultimately in my deepest core to go. Mm. Yeah. So well, all of us, you know. Guru takes care, as they say in India. Yes. Right. The, and by the way, it's universal guru. There's only, uh, David is very uh, close to and uh, a devotee of Shirdi Sai Baba. Shirdi Sai Baba left around 1918 or something. Yes, 1918. And uh, was uh, so parallel to Neem Karoli Baba in in no more us and them. There was no polarization within these beings and they were doing nothing but serving people. They, they had no reason to be here in a physical body to work stuff out or anything. So amazing, amazing. We should, uh, whoever's doing the show notes, hey, give us a link or two to Shirdi Sai Baba because he is phenomenal. Um, but here, to keep on the tack here with what Ramdas said in this particular talk, um, that makes it different from where I think we were at in, in the 60s, 70s, which, which I think, and you've already mentioned it, the ego part of it. We were self-involved. We were getting as if we were getting um, searching for comfort and pleasure and so on. We weren't doing that, but we were searching for uh, still keeping the ego identity and not caring so much about the quote-unquote them. It was all about us. It was a. It was the me in the guise of oh, we are all one and interconnected, but we were not able to substantially uh, embody that because we just had not done the kind of practice you need to really get to know yourself. So Ramdas now talks about it in, in a way that is more mature, I think, and also um, I think much more... Um, present in next generation lives these days it's meaningful what to do about the environment what to do about the social divide and the economic divide etc etc so here's what he said if you're oh you said this time around either everybody goes or nobody goes it's not enough to polarize again that's what we did in the 60s. We were the good guys with truth and love, and they were the bad people with fear and contraction. And that's not good enough anymore, really. If you're interested in awakening, in spiritual awakening, this time when Shiva's really dancing, this is an extraordinary time for that inner work to see if you can keep any any sort of equanimity at all in a situation like this. That pretty much summarizes where we're at right now, right? Yes, it does, because it's very easy to just become one of two things, both of which are bad. One is enraged and the other one is confused. Yeah. Because so many... I mean, How about and, the third one, yeah. ignorant? Well, ignorance is the worst of all because it's a, it's a veil, it's a thick veil over people's ability to see the truth. And we're seeing that all the time right now. And we don't know what's going to happen in this country, mm. this sort of space that we live in called America, 
because it's not just an American phenomenon. The world, yeah, in, sure. in the in the 2020s time now, and before that, I'd say since 2015, uh, has looked to all extremely grotesque versions of the truth uh, that have. I mean, sometimes it's sprinkling of truth in them. Uh, you know, when people talk about populism these days, they're not talking about you know, a democratic thing. They're talking about people who are pissed off. And, you know, let me just tell you about something that happened to me. Yeah. Uh, I did a movie in 2008 with an Oscar-winning director. And uh, I advised him. I was his advisor for about four months on a movie. And in order to make this film give it very similitude, we needed 600 cars from 1969. <laughs> and um, terrific people working for him. They got those cars. A place where you drive for miles without seeing a, 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 an ongoing store. And a, a, a mall, mini malls with two stores. One just said beer, and the next one said guns and ammo. This is in New York State. Mm -hmm. So one day I wandered into where all the 600 cars were. I was fascinated to see these cherry cars, these Thunderbirds and, and big Chevys and Cadillacs and no SUVs, just 1969 cars in great condition. And I wandered into that place where I had some time and I met a group of the drivers. And they looked like bikers to me. A lot of them were wearing leather vests with no shirts. They all had beards and long, long hair. And they kind of looked like the sort of West Coast hippies of the late of the mid 60s. They were not those people. And when we got talking, remember, this was 2008, August, actually, uh, they told me that the one thing in their life that kept them sane was the knowledge that they had enough guns, that they had enough guns to deal with any situation that came up in their small communities. None of them had a job. They were unemployed. They all got money as handymen for each other. So one guy would be a handyman for another guy. So I asked them at one point, I said, well, what do you think is going to happen? They said, well, eventually it's going to get so bad that there will be no governance. They didn't use that word, but that's what they meant, that it will all fall apart hmm. and we'll have the guns. I said, and what exactly would you do with the guns? It was a very frank conversation. I was kind of like in the middle of these eight or ten guys. And they said, we'll kill all the local politicians. And they all Serious? laughed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's in the book. It's in the book. And uh, I said, what? They said, yeah, we're just going to, when the time comes, we're just going to go into City Hall and just kill everybody. Because they've never done anything for us, and there will be a moment where they'll realize that we are here. I mean, that was jiving, no? I mean, it was... No, not at all. Not because at the all. Because the conversation went on when I asked them what kind of guns they had. And they were very nice to me, given that I was someone the like of which I don't think they'd ever seen before. And I really try and interface well with people that, um, generally speaking, you know, it's hard Opposite to. Opposite view. Yeah. And they were very sweet to me and asked me to come back hmm. and to have a beer with them. They didn't have any spare beer at that moment. And I did go back and I did talk to them. But they had murder in their hearts for the judge, to quote an old Moby Grape song. They had murder in their heart for the judge, the judge being the elites. Mm. And that was the beginning, the beginning of a certain kind of populism in the United States when they decided, whoa, where are the pitchforks? These people don't care about us. 
And that's what brought the Donald in. Mm. Not that many years later, just eight years after that, here's a guy who is the least populous person you could possibly imagine, the furthest away from those guys in that parking lot in, in up, upstate New York, imaginable, who they fell in love with. And then enormous damage has been done for seven years. Mm. Now, I saw the, the, the kernel or the embryonic form of this rage. It didn't scare me because the people weren't scary to talk to right standing there. Mm. But I sure as hell would not want to be the city commissioner or the city manager or anybody in those towns if they suddenly got really angry. They meant what they said, Raghu. And mm. the reason I bring it up is because this is where the naivety ends and the realism begins. But it doesn't change the fact that you can't fight them by saying they're different from us. They're not, they're subhuman, they're reptilian. All these words that float around, they're ignorant to all that. But we were ignorant of their suffering. And that's the truth. We were ignorant of the basic suffering of average people with no money and no job. And the, the elites in, in, in Washington, New York, Los Angeles, I sound like a right-wing here, but I'm just trying to explain it. You know, that they thought that we just hated them. You know, that we found them to be repulsive in some ways and would never work with them. So they got angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. And look what we've got now. Yeah. Wow. So I'm not surprised. That you actually experienced that. It's really quite yes, phenomenal. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, that's really great. Now, um, since we don't have much time left, I'm sorry that it's a little negative that, but I just wanted to. I've never Not really, it. it's 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 a little bit of truth, isn't it? Yeah, more yeah. than a little bit. Now, I I know, and you mentioned this earlier in in this chat that you've been visiting, revisiting, shall we say, the the Vedas, the ancient Indian philosophical books from thousands of years ago. Uh, Yes. Can you can you give? Do you have? A, can you give yeah, one? Well, not a big thing. One no. thing that really responds to what we're talking about. That is oh. an antidote to this. There it is. Well, this was the book that I got when I was nineteen years old, all those years ago. And it's, it's hold in, it up it's, again. It, I can't. It's completely falling apart. Yeah. The ten principal Upanishads. W. B. Yeats. Okay. Is yeah. it still in print? I don't know. If it is, you uh, should get another copy. Well, I, I, I read it. You know, so I did not get a copy of that, but I got a copy of a brand new version of its of its. Um, uh -huh, right. Of the you it's a wonderful yeah. thing, and yeah. I'm studying it because it's about the relationship of the individual soul to the Atman. And I, I okay, you got to explain now: individual okay. soul and well, over soul, shall we say? Yeah. Upanishad, to begin with, I did some little research, it's, a, it's doctrine or wisdom, but it means in Sanskrit, literally, at the feet of, at the feet of, suggesting it's at the feet of the master or a master. And um, it's basic. I, I looked for a, a, a quote that would sum it up, and I found it in something called the Isha Upanishad. They've mm -hmm. all got different names. Mm -hmm. There are actually 108 of them. Uh, that we know of, and they were late in the Vedic, in the Vedanta uh, history. It was a late sort of addition to the Vedas. And they said this, they that know and can distinguish between the shapes of nature and the seed of nature shall, by the first, cross the perishable in safety, shall, passing beyond the second, attain immortal life. In okay. other words, 
to be so obsessed with. Explain that. Explain that well, out. Well, it, it basically, and he, he's saying, or that poet is saying, uh, if you become obsessed with just this life, this physical life, and you don't imagine that this is just a speck of a reality, and that the reality, obviously, it's certainly the non-dual way of thinking and believing, is that we are all one under a loving force. And that that is the Atman, beyond which you can't go, and to which you cannot go, unless uh, you decide to delve and meditate into it. Now, okay, what does that really mean? Well, I, I wrote this down. The word Atman means the inner self. Mm. Not the self that goes to work every morning, although he's there. Or the I that believes all the bullshit that uh, the right. mind can create, yeah. Yeah, not it's that. not that. It's the force. It's the light in the mind. The word Atman means the inner self, the soul, the immortal spirit in an individual and all living beings, including animals and trees. This is from, you know, at least 5,000 years ago. Atman is a central idea in all the Upanishads and know your Atman, the thematic focus. In other words, it's not just, well, there is this thing, but we don't know what it is. No, no. Focus on it, study it, sing about it, dream about it, talk about it, try and grasp it. And it will grasp. reveal itself without yes. an intellectual uh, right. supposition. It will, it will come. These texts state that the inmost core of every person is not the body, nor the mind, nor the ego, but Atman. The soul or self. Atman is the spiritual essence in all creatures. Their real innermost essential being. It is eternal. It is ageless. Atman is that which one is at the deepest level of one's existence. So, just to briefly summarize. Last night, uh, I ate very late. Mm -hmm. um, fish, which I still eat. And um, I was okay till about... 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning, then I had this dreadful dream. And um, I, I'm not even sure what it was about, but I was holding a box that was sort of like a pizza box, except deeper. It was heavy. I was holding it to my body, and I was in a room, and I was looking for somewhere to hide it. And I couldn't find anywhere. I tried to put it under the bed, but it was too thick, too deep. I tried to put it on a shelf behind something, but it fell down. I tried to put it under a blanket, but it, the shape retained. And then finally, I found a drawer in a thing that didn't look like it had drawers. I opened the drawer, and as I was putting it in, somebody started hammering on the door. And then without any to do, walked in. And I knew that that was the person I was hiding it from. And I woke in the classic sweat oh, and just whoa. was just like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that I'm in this bardo and not that one. Whoa. In the Upanishads, I, in my morning reading, I tend to read it when I get up. The one this morning, believe it or not, was about dreams. Hmm. <laughs> and it said that dreams are not sticky that as bad and as intense and as negative and frightening as they are, as soon as you open your eyes and you're back in this thing, they're gone. Like a breeze. Like Ramdas said, the thoughts were like breezes. 
that as powerful as they can be and as overwhelming as it can be and as depressing or negative, they're like breezes. They go away or they should like a breeze, like a pleasant breeze that wafts over you and then it's gone and you can't catch it. And that's what this part of the Upanishads was about that I read this morning, Hmm. saying that as much as you can wander in paradise or descend into hell or be in some kind of purgatory that seems so incredibly real and frightening and dark, that he says that just like this dream of life that we have in the waking state, the dream bardo is not sticky. It's a breeze. And it goes away. And we know this because when we wake up, we go, oh, I'm in my house. Great. I can watch tennis. I can watch Wimbledon. I can, I can wear that new shirt that I bought. I can eat some, you know, some mm. cookies. Ah, the dream is gone. Mm. And in the Upanishads, what they're saying, the analogy is that this reality that we want to be immersed in, which is directed by love, which is about love, and in fact expresses love at all times, is um, beyond this sticky other stuff, which it's seems like it's really... Sticky, gooey mess. The sticky Maya that we know is Maya yeah. in a dream. We wake up and say, oh, it's just a dream. Yeah. But then yeah. we start getting really worried about paying the rent or whatever it is. And, okay, mm-hmm. it's worryable. You want to live in a house. But... The truth of the matter is that what the Upanishads are all about is that this dream can be penetrated by immersion in the Atman. Yeah. And the only way that can happen is either through meditation or art. Practice, practice, pr- pr- practice. Practice, yeah. right. So that's, the Upanishads are a dialogue, like a Socratic dialogue. There's a lot of arguing going on. Mm. And what mm. usually happens is that a king is arguing with a sage mm. in this particular part mm. of it. And the, the, the sage is asking the king, well, what do you think is there in the dream? And the sage, you know, the king goes, well, it was, it was nasty. You know, someone was trying to behead me and I coming after my throne. And, and what is left of that, your majesty? Well, nothing. And within that particular construct is the Upanishad's idea about how to release yourself from these preoccupations by understanding that they from are just sticking. Free. They don't stick. If you don't yeah. want them to stick, they don't stick. That's and, the back... Joseph Goldstein, this is a, you know, again, you should hear this, everybody. I should hear it. David should hear it a billion times. But when he was asked by a young friend who said, I'm just on the path a few years because I'm young. And, you know, what wisdom in a bite would you give me? One thing that you would give me for me to chew on, so to speak. And Joseph turned to him and went, stop clinging. Mm-hmm. Okay, the fly, sticky flypaper is, is, you know, is eminently transformable, okay? You can get off that flypaper. And, uh, and here is a, David is doing this incredible practice uh, using this ancient, ancient wisdom to remind, basically, it's like reminding, oh yeah, right, we really are that. And if you ha- and so here I'm segueing back because I have this last little thing from the same talk from Ramdas. Um, this is where he was very prescient. Maybe it didn't take much to be prescient. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know when was this done. It was done in '94, so it's not quite 30 years ago. We've got a tremendous amount of heaviness in store for us 
because of environmental and social problems, etc. Breakdown of social systems. But that's all a creative moment. I mean, it's whether or not that's a dark moment or that's the moment of transformation. And transformation isn't a rose garden. <laughs> right? I mean, this is all... We are so addicted, and I'll, I'll be number one there in my own addiction to comfort, being comfortable. It is so difficult for us to be in anything that's not comfortable and be able to sidle up to it and say it's okay. It's so difficult. And that's one of the kinds of practices that comes with doing mindfulness and meditation practice. And... Uh, let me just say, uh, again, after all these years of doing all sorts of different practices, it can happen where you, you get, at least you get, a, 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 if you're a fly, and you, know, you can get at least one of those legs off of that sticky paper. Maybe you can get all of them off. At certain times, I get all of them off, and at certain times, I'm still stuck. And that's the nature of being human, and it's okay. That's the, the beauty of being honest with oneself about where you're at and not try and go around it, the old spiritual bypass. So, uh, yeah, the, the truth in love from the 60s that we thought was the end of the world, we were right, we just did not have the kind of mature perspective to be able to um, think of how can we help. We were just trying to help ourselves really at the time and it was you know, a little indulgent and I think uh, so that's why I think this is beautiful like almost 30 years ago Ramdas coalescing the reality of where we are where he was then almost 30 years ago translated to here we are now and seemingly even more uh, polarized darker uh, wars uh, I mean pestilence I mean what it's really extraordinary so, um, you know, on that yeah, score, I'm glad we I, can I, share I, this, Dave. I, I highly recommend anyone listening or watching this podcast get the newsletter that has around us his words of wisdom a couple of times a week uh, that, uh, that uh, Be Now Foundation puts out. Rachel, Love, serve, she, remember. Yeah. Love, serve, remember puts out yeah. there. And I read them all. And what's amazing to me is that even though I've been, you know, like Raghu and like all the other people, you know, on this case for over half a century, more. Most, the vast majority of those words of wisdom that you put out there, when I read them, they are epiphanic. They are quickly redeem you from some form of hiding, mm. some form of escapism, or worse, some form of very heavy lack of self-worth or self-love. Mm. And yeah. I recommend them so heavily because mm. it, in my life, at any rate, I found that. Well, just here's the lung. book, too. Yeah, the book. Is the book out? Yeah. Oh, there it is. I don't have it yet. Oh, okay. Is oh, it out? Uh, well, oh, yeah, no, no. It came out last, uh, the end of last year. I didn't so get it's been it. Out I, about I, six, eight but I, I follow um, them in the newsletter, you know. And they, yeah, they no, just, this is, it's, and the way that it's done, uh, Rachel Fisher put it together uh, with uh, themed. Mm. Uh, sections so you can turn to something that you think you might need help with is is a beautiful way to instantly be able to access what you want so uh yeah so that's there and we'll put up 
What's the name of the Upanishad is, uh, that you were uh, reading this morning? The name, well, it's actually chapter four. Uh, uh, in, this, in this edition, I think because of some kind of need for exactitude, they don't have the names. I think it's called the, yes, it is. It's called the Bradarana Yaka. Okay, we're, the, uh, we can't Brad, pronounce that Brad, stuff. Bradarana Yaka Upanishad, but it's actually number four. Like the Bible, it has those things, you know. It's yeah, yeah. 4 3 13. 4, four 3 13. David has read, he, and he'll create, put it on social media, you know, like the uh, fundamentals do. They, they'll put a, a, you know, something from the Bible up. You must now read 4, what is it, 4 13, whatever. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, as I say, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, how much do you think you know. <laughs> in the human frame, you know, there are a lot of veils that not only you can push off, but they have the ability, strangely, to come back. And, and you know, therefore, Ramdas is pithy, and that word has been devalued in this language, but it, what it means in the Buddhist sense are these small statements that can just yeah. turn you around. Golden nuggets of wisdom. Golden nuggets. Sounds, like yeah. sounds like Vegas. Sounds like Vegas. It is the the jackpot because he was sufficiently aware of every nuance of his own thought process. Yeah. That and also of every emotion that he began to understand were, were um, redeemable by um, non-attachment to them. Yeah, he wasn't afraid to the look. Greatest. He was not afraid no, to look, and that's wasn't. quite a legacy he left us. David, thank you so much for uh, celebrating uh, with us. We're also uh, part of what we're doing too, and I'm sure this will there'll be some kind of uh, reference to what's going on with the network. Uh, the network people will put it together. We're also trying to uh, further uh, more support for the network as we bring on we're, uh, new uh, podcasters, indigenous podcasters with Nat Kelly and then a wonderful meditation teacher who's very much into shamanistic path as well, Spring Washam. So uh, we're really uh, moving into some beautiful areas that I, I hope will will help as as this kind of conversation does. So thanks really, for introducing the Upanishads. And, yeah, we'll do, uh, we'll, let's do more on them, yeah, you know, we'll, because I, yeah, I'd, li I'd like to simplify a couple of the things that are in there because you can. And, mm. uh, and I don't think the... They're, uh, they're well the, worthwhile. The, I don't think the dudes that wrote it, if anybody wrote it, God knows. It's, it's well, so it's all, ancient. It's ancient. You know, it's all handed down oral tradition and then somebody yeah. finally wrote it down at some point. But it is uh, interesting, the people who know nothing about flushing toilets, telephones, air, air, airplane travel, Netflix, uh, <laughs> knitted cardigans, houses with glass in the window. They knew nothing about any of that. Mm. Knew this, that we strive like demons to somehow get involved in. And that blows my mind all the time. That before mm. we had all these comforts, yeah. and you talked before, you like comforts, so do I. And what Pema Chodron says about it is the comfort zone is fine when you're in it, but don't use it to avoid the realities of life. And yeah, there you go. Full stop, period. Thanks, Pema yeah. Chodron. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David Silver. And by the way, uh, David's book's coming out uh, very shortly because 
um, I'm going to fly to New York with a whip. A whip. And get him to finish it because I know too. I mean, by the way, you can check Mind Rolling out. The last couple of podcasts David did, I believe, uh, have uh, stories from this incredible uh, book that he's putting together of experiences with m remarkable people. Yeah, and, let me just, can I just say one thing which I think is relevant? Right. Um, the film that Rago and I did with Krishna Das which is called The Samadhi of Casey Tuari. Is brilliant finished. Disguise. And, and it's Brilliant Disguise, right. That's what it's called because he was a, a master in Brilliant Disguise. It seemed like just an ordinary school teacher. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is it's a great film, but it starts off with KD and Raghu having a conversation about what turned them into whatever they were in the 60s. And I'm not going to say anything more than to say that the four or five minutes of that dialogue, that colloquy, says it all, because what it's about is how we became rejectionary, if there's such a word, certainly reactionary, but rejectionary of so many constructs that were not helping us live happy lives. And KD and Raghu discuss in quick detail how that changed us. That was the stimulation. That transformation came from rejecting viscerally. I can't do this anymore. That's basically, yeah. and, and the, the word, you know, Anyway, when 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 the film comes, you will see that's the beginning of the film. It's a very beautiful, deep, profound, lovely film. But it starts mm. with that basic truth that we all came to it. God knows how or why, but we're fortunate to have even Thank had a God. glimpse yeah. of it. No, know? absolutely. Thanks, Raga. Thank you, David. Everybody, this uh, we shall continue our celebration. <laughs>